You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Well, good morning, folks. How are you doing today? That's fantastic. I'm glad you're here this morning. Today, we get to start a brand new sermon series called Foolproof. We are looking at the book of Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs does a very good job of setting apart and sort of um, in side-by-side comparison, juxtaposition, wisdom, and foolishness. And no one wants to look like a fool. And so Solomon, in all his wisdom, starts laying out what true wisdom looks like and what true following after God's heart looks like in real, practical terms. So I want to read to you a couple of passages. The first one is sort of our theme passage for the entire series, and then I want to read you a passage from particularly today. So Proverbs 28 and 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are foolish, but those who live wisely are kept safe. Today we're going to spend our time in Proverbs chapter 3, and the reason why we're spending time there is in Proverbs chapter 3, it's so interesting that Solomon decides that he's going to talk to his children about what's important in life. What are the most important things that they can do in life? And so, though he's speaking to his children, we get to glean from that wisdom, glean from that knowledge, and glean from that practical application of God's holy wisdom into our lives. The first four verses of Proverbs chapter 3 says this, My son or my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would help us as we let your word dive into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch each of our hearts and encourage, exhort, rebuke, correct, whatever you need to do in us in order for your will to be accomplished in and through us. I know what the words you've given me to say as they go forth, and I want our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them for one purpose, that we might reflect the person and the glory of Jesus Christ evermore in our lives. And by faith, in advance, we go ahead and give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I don't know if you've ever done this um, in the days of podcasting now and YouTube videos and all of these things and TED Talks. We have a lot more um, ability to access information and access other people's knowledge and wisdom. One of the greatest things that I, I think is to be able to learn from people you highly respect that you may not know on a, on a close basis, but you can begin to learn and glean from their wisdom along the way. You can attend conferences or listen to TED Talks. But one of the most important things I've ever discovered was at a conference that I would go to, if there was ever the smaller session, which means you've got these general sessions, these plenary sessions, where they're sharing their prepackaged remarks or, or preplanned remarks in these things. But then there are other times where that speaker or that person or that leader that you are there to listen to, they're made available to other people in a smaller setting, and it's like a roundtable with a discussion of Q&A. I've only been to like three or four of these, but that was the most beneficial things I've ever been a part of because it wasn't pre-planned remarks. 
It was people saying, what would you do in this situation? Or here's what I'm going through. How would you lead in this way? How would you apply what you said in the general session to this particular way? And so all of a sudden, you've got general knowledge becoming applied knowledge in real practical ways. Those are the most beneficial I've ever received and been a part of. In reality, that's what Proverbs is. If you had a chance to sit at the feet of what the Bible says is the wisest human to ever live, would you take up that opportunity? Would you take up the opportunity where it's not just a general session, but it's a small Q&A of applied wisdom and knowledge to areas of your life? That is exactly what we get in Proverbs chapter 3. This is King Solomon. Solomon, who asks God at the very beginning of his reign, God said in a dream, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, the Bible says he didn't ask for, he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for influence. What he asked for was, I want wisdom to be able to go in and out from your people and judge them correctly on your behalf. And the Bible says God was so pleased. He gave him that wisdom and he also gave him all the other things that he didn't ask for. Proverbs 3 is not Solomon saying, to all the people out there, let me tell you some general wisdom. This is a father speaking to his children that says, if I could teach you anything about life and about real wisdom and about following God, here's the things I would tell you. And we get to sit in a window and listen and observe and glean and learn from this wisdom. There's four things I want you to see this morning from Proverbs chapter 3. As Solomon tells his children, and we learn as well, what real wisdom is. And what he really says is this. Wisdom above everything else is knowing how to trust God in all of your life. The, the real uh, wisdom is really the ability to discern or to judge what is right or true. That's different from knowledge. You can have knowledge, Okay. Knowledge is great. I'm not against knowledge. I'm not, I'm not asking for people to set their goals to be ignorant. That's not it. I'm not asking you to set the bar low. Get knowledge, but knowledge is not going to always help you unless it's being able to apply. The only time useless knowledge is helpful is in trivial pursuit, right? Real knowledge, real wisdom that's applied is when it's in real-world circumstances and situations where you've got to take truths and apply them to your life. So Solomon says in four different ways that we're supposed to trust God. The first one is this. He says, I want you to trust in God's path for your life. Trust in God's path. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, why is that important? Because if we're really honest, we all want to forge our own path, don't we? We all want to make our own way, our own mark on life. I mean, this is why, this is why teenagers and young adults question everything. This is why they disagree with their parents. This is why teenagers, when they grow up to be adults, this is why they leave the family business 
This is why a lot of times they will leave the church they've grown up in, not because they disagree with any doctrine or anything. They just want to get away from their parents and forge their own path in these things. This is why they abandon family traditions to the harm and the hurt of their parents and grandparents in some of these things. They're wanting to forge their own path. This is why young adults all throughout history want to change the things their parents did and fix all the problems their parents left, right? If you're a teenager or a young adult and you see all the things your parents did wrong and you want to fix all that right now, go get them, tiger. In 25 years, somebody's going to come fix your mess too. And for all of you who have had teenagers and young adults and you're seeing that play out in your life, don't forget you did this to your folks too. Because we all want to forge our own path. The problem is, Our path is not necessarily the right path unless we're following along God's path. Here's what Proverbs 14 and 12 says. There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end leads to death. It seems right, but it winds up being wrong. This is why Solomon's father, David, wrote in the 23rd Psalm, As God is a shepherd to us, that one of the things he does is he leads us along right paths for his namesake. The phrasing in the original language is paths of righteousness. That is a term, a shepherding term that they use. It's almost like a colloquialism. It's it's a saying. It means that if a flock was there and the shepherd was not present at that moment, there would many times be well-worn paths that would lead down to places of safety and also a watering hole where you'd find refreshment and safety. These were there. where if the, if the shepherd wasn't present, that these animals would learn how to follow paths of righteousness in order to make it to those places. This is what we're talking about. So many people want to forge their own path and look for a new path. Can I just tell you something? God is calling you to follow his path so that you can always live in refreshment and safety from the enemy of your soul. You don't need a new path. You need God's path. Now, that being said, if you know anything about the longevity of land and livestock and shepherding and all those things, you know that sometimes watering holes will dry up here and they'll come up over here. Okay? The watering hole is the refreshment and the safety. The path is what you have to focus on because there'll be a new path to a new place of refreshment and a new place of safety. Here's what I mean. It might not look like your parents or your grandparents, but it's still a path of holiness and righteousness. The path doesn't change But the results of it will always bring you to refreshing and to safety. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 32 and 8 says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Jesus, on the night before he is crucified, he tells his disciples, he says, when the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So how does God guide us? Two ways. By his word and by his spirit. 
by his word, the Bible tells us in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, you all are probably much more spiritual than I am. I get that. But if I'm honest, what I want God to do is lay out my whole path before me. I want to know what he wants to do for me tomorrow. What he wants me to do. What's his plan for me in a week? What's his plan for me in two months? What's his plan for me in six months? What's his plan in five years? What's his plan in 20 years for my life? I'd like to know it, lay it all out so I can know those things. And the problem is he doesn't do it that way at all. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path just assures me that every step that I take in obedience and following him will lead me to safety, though I cannot see much farther than that. I was thinking about this week and wondering how I could, just like, how do I explain that? And then on Friday, we had a, um, a meeting in a, um, with our board of trustees. It was an all-day re- uh, retreat. And one of my, our trustees, um, Banjo Sanubi, um, just got back from leading a trip to Zambia and he said one of the remarkable things was they would get out of the service at night and he said this was in the remotest parts of the area and he said when they got out of service he said I walked outside and he said it is dark he said dark pitch black you can't see your hand in front of your face there's no lights at all and he said and these people who had traveled for several miles from their village to the church started making their way home in pitch darkness. And he said, it looked like they're just walking off into the bushes. He said, in this freaky kind of way. And he said, I asked the missionary, he said, how do, how do, they, how do they not get lost? How do they not know? How, how do they see their way? And he said, for you, you can't see. He said, but they've lived here and they've acclimated and their eyes can see a path that your eyes can't see. And he said, what looks like total darkness to you illuminates enough of a path for them to see to get home. That's a perfect picture of what God does through his word. It may not be fully illuminated like you want to see. It may not have road signs like the freeway. But every step, every moment that you take in following his word takes you down a path of holiness and righteousness and purpose and grace. He leads us by his word, and he also leads us by his spirit. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says this. He said, there's coming a day which we live in now because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out on us. He says, your own ears will hear him, meaning God. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. That there's this internal voice that will begin to guide you in how you should live your life. Going back to the same story that Banjo told us, he said his next question after the the missionary told him that they could see things and they could go down the path, he goes, yeah, but what about the stuff in the woods? You know, You may be thinking lions, bears. He was thinking what I was thinking. What about snakes, you know? (laughs) And the missionary said, they've done this so long that they've developed a keen awareness in their ability to hear and even sense 
the dangers that are out there, that they will cause people in a group to stop while a predator or a snake goes by because of just knowing with their senses. This is a beautiful image of what the Holy Spirit does. When you're going down a path that you do not know, that he can speak to you. He can stop you in a moment when danger is there. He can speak to you when there is a fork in the road and you have to take a decision and you say, how in the world am I going to make this decision that a voice will tell you go to the right or to the left or avoid the right or to the left? This is what God does for us. And Solomon tells his children, if you're going to live the best life you've ever lived, you're going to have to learn to trust in God's path. And you may be here and say, Pastor, that's great. Love the story about Solomon and his kids. Love the path, avoiding snakes, all that. But you don't know what I'm going through. Listen to me. I have prayed a prayer over my life when I did not know what to do. That God has never failed me in this prayer. And that prayer is this. God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know which direction I'm going to take. I don't know what choice I'm supposed to make. So I'm asking you, close every door that is not of you. I don't care if it hurts my feelings, if it hurts my pride. I don't care. Close that door and only open doors you want me to go through. I have never had the Lord fail me in that prayer. And if you're facing that circumstance right now, I dare you to take God up in his challenge and he'll direct that path. Solomon says, if you're going to live this life of wisdom and purpose and fullness in your life, You've got to trust, first of all, in God's path. The second thing he says is this. Is he said, you're going to have to trust in God's provision in your life. Trust in God's provision. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, and then he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, when I read Scripture, I, questions just start popping up in my mind. Why would probably the wealthiest man on the face of the earth, whose kids are born with silver spoons in their mouths, why would he tell them, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce? Why would he say that? Because he understands that money and resources and wealth, all of that is a trust issue when it comes to God. Once again, you're probably much more spiritual than I am. But if we're honest with ourselves, we actually don't know what we need. We just know what we want. And much of our prayers are not about God asking God to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Much of our prayers is asking God to align his will with our wants and calling them needs in the process. God will provide for all of our needs to accomplish his purpose. But let me just tell you something. God's provisions in our lives are for us on his path. He's not going to provide for you to take you down a wrong path. He's just not going to do it. And so surrender means I have to trust God. I have to trust his path. I have to trust his provision. And here's what I've learned. In my years of following Christ, before I was ever called into ministry, 
is that if I trust God with my resources, God will never cease to take care of me. That God's calculator somehow knows how to take red ink and turn it to black. I don't know how it works, but I do know this. Is God has been able to do more with 90% giving to me and 10% trusting to him than I would ever be able to do with leaving 100% for myself. And the wisest and richest man on the face of the earth thought it important to tell his children, don't you dare forget to trust God in his provision. He says you got to trust God's path and you have to trust God's provision. And then he says you have to trust in God's partnership, in his partnership. This is such an interesting passage. Verses 19 to 22 says, By wisdom the Lord founded the earth. By understanding he created the heavens. By his knowledge the deep fountains of the earth burst forth and the dew settles beneath the sky, night sky. My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. So there's this divine partnership. Common sense and discernment. One is common and available to everyone. One is given by God. Now, what is common sense? Common sense is sound judgment based upon basic intelligence. Okay? That's not meant to be an insult. But you don't have to have a certain degree or a 140 or 150 IQ to have common sense. There are just some things that you know in your mind and in your heart that are right or wrong. And no amount of theorizing and philosophizing is ever going to change any of that. You just know them. Let me give you a couple of examples from warning labels that have been placed on some products. Can you put those up there, please? Do not iron while wearing shirt. Anybody know why that got on there? Because somebody ironed and burned themselves while the shirt was on. Next one. This product moves when used. Wheels are on it. Why would that be? Next one. This is pepper spray. May irritate eyes. And then the last one, remove child before folding. <laughs> Anybody know why that one got up there? Somebody tried to make their child into Gumby. There's some things that are just common sense. You shouldn't have to be told and instructed and things. And yet, we will give way to foolishness if enough people try to convince us. Let me give you a couple of examples, okay? And before you get offended by one of them, I'm going to offend all of you at some point, okay? <laughs> but there's some common sense things. You don't need to pray. You don't need to ask God for discernment. You just use your mind and go, that doesn't make sense at all. Why would anyone think that? On the issue of the UK's magazine, Glamour Magazine cover, there was the picture of a man named Brian Logan. And it said, it's a picture of him 
um, dressed as a man. He's actually a woman, pregnant, fully pregnant. And here was the title, Pregnant Transgender Man. Okay, so if the headline is accurate and not slanted and biased, it would literally say, woman who is dressed as a man got biologically pregnant. There's not confusion there, folks. There's no, there's no confusion at all. And yet we confuse these issues. And we call it different terms. But there's no confusion there. There are some things you look at and kind of go, eh, I'm not sure about that. Let me give you another one. Let me go to the opposite side of things. Just see if I can offend the rest of you. <laughs> you see it. I see it. You probably get them. I get them. Listen. And it's, it's people who are making predictions and prophecies about the 2024 election. And I just want to gag. And if there was a true statement that was actually put out there, can I just tell you what it is? The same people who got it wrong and gave platform to those who got it wrong in 2020 are predicting and prophesying in 2024. And we're listening to them. I mean, that should make you kind of go, huh? Can I just tell you something? One of the most common sense things I've ever done was stop watching so much of the news cycle that's going on. Because I'm telling, can I give you some common sense here? I don't care which organization you're listening to. I don't care which publication you're reading. I don't care which podcaster you're listening to. I don't care which YouTube prophet you're listening to. I don't care which person who's writing books. There is one reason they are doing it. They are doing it so that they can make money and monetize their platform. Every one of them. And the way they do it is to make the most bombastic claims so that you'll stay engaged and they can sell advertising dollars or get monetized on YouTube or some other platform in that. The longer they keep you engaged, the more money they make. And I think it's about time the people of God wake up and realize what's being done. I'm going to tell you something else. This is going to hurt your feelings if I haven't already. But if what you listen to and read all the time leaves you angry and bitter and filled with fear when you leave it, it is not of God. And before you come back to me and say, oh, you're just burying your head in the sand. I'm not burying my head in the sand. I'm burying my head in the book. Because in this book, it tells me that God created the heavens and the earth and man to have a relationship with him and that he knew that we would fail. And so he sent his son to pay the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And he died on a cross and he rose from the dead so we could have new life. And he told us at the end, there's perilous times going to come. But in Revelation, it says, all hell will come against him, but God is going to win in the end.
God's people aren't supposed to live in fear. We're people of hope, and the hope is an empty tomb because Jesus is still on his throne. And the Bible tells us that one of these days, one of these days, we can guarantee it that Jesus Christ is coming again. That the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says, so therefore comfort each other with these words. And it breaks my heart to see the people of God living in a spirit of fear when the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. God partners common sense with a spiritual gift of a discerning of spirits and God-given ability of discernment to be able to grasp what is not obvious and is hidden from most people. Anybody know what pyrite is? Fool's gold. It looks like gold. Feels like it to the untrained eye. But to someone who has knowledge, they can look at it almost immediately and know it's not real, it's not authentic, and it's worthless. That's discernment. To know what is real, what is authentic, and what is of true value in this world. Discernment doesn't look normal to most people because most people want you to fall in line. Discernment gives you the ability to sense other people's motives and not just their actions. Discernment will question the things of this world and discernment will question things posing as biblical with ulterior motives. And discernment will always, always cling to the message of the cross and the gospel. Here's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since in God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Discernment. Godly wisdom versus human wisdom. But discernment is only ever used for God's glory. If God gives you an ever-increasing ability to be discerning, you need to spend an ever-increasing time in his presence. Because if you aren't before the Lord in his presence being right, you'll mistake discernment for judgmentalism. Because if you try to do it in your own power, you'll just be judgmental. If you do it in his power, you will discern those things that are of the world and are of the spirit. 
But if you neglect to spend the time in his presence, you'll try to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you try to do the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll simply be operating in the flesh. There's this beautiful partnership that God has. And the natural ability that we have of common sense, the ability to listen to something and go, I'm not sure about that. And the discerning of spirits, that even when you hear something that may sound right on the surface, there's something in your gut that just churns and you know it's wrong. Solomon says, this life you want to live is a life of trusting God in his plan, his path, in his provision, in the partnership he has with us through common sense and discernment. And the final thing he tells him is this, is to trust in God's peace. Trusting God's peace. Verses 25 and 26, he says, you need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. That phrase, you need not be afraid of sudden disaster or destruction that comes upon the wicked. That doesn't mean you're never going to have problems. That doesn't mean you're never going to have sickness in your life. As a matter of fact, the passage that we derive, the, the phrase, the Lord is our healer. That, that passage is from when, when they are leaving Egypt. And he tells his people, he says, I will not bring upon you any of the disasters or the plagues that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord, your healer. not saying you're never going to get sick. What he says is this, to those people, I was a God of wrath, but to you, I'm a God of healing and wholeness. I am for you. I'm not against you. And what Solomon tells his children, and we get to learn, is that God is for us, not against us. And we don't have to worry about the destruction that awaits the wicked. God's plan for us is good. One of the greatest pictures of the peace of God is found in Matthew chapter 8. And it's where the disciples and Jesus are on a boat. It's late. The storm is raging all around them. And they're so afraid. Jesus is below deck sleeping. They actually go to Jesus and say, Wake up. Do you not care that we're all going to die? And Jesus gets up and performs this wonderful miracle where he speaks to the wind and the waves and the rain and all of the things, and he says, peace, be still. And the waves die down, the rain stops, the wind stops blowing. And he looks at his disciples and says, why were you so afraid? Peace is knowing that Jesus is with you every moment. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God in the midst of those problems. And sometimes, sometimes God will do like Jesus did in that moment. And he will stand up and speak peace and immediately he will calm down. And sometime he will rest in your boat and invite you to take rest with him too. 
but in all things, I'm safe in the arms of Christ. More than anything else, the things that weigh you down, the things that keep you awake, Solomon says, you have to trust in God's peace for your life. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it repeats a promise that was made in Deuteronomy chapter 31, where God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Isaiah 43 and 2 says this, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. We like the second part. We don't like the first part of that, do we? When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. How do you get this type of wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you, and he won't rebuke you for asking for it. But I need to tell you how you gain wisdom much of the time. It's through experience. When you trust in God's paths, that means there's a decision you're going to have to make in your life where you're going to have to trust to God. You've got to trust in God to help you make that decision. Most of us want to avoid it. Oh, God, just take us down a clear path. That's all I want. But then there's a decision that has to be made. Lord, what do you want to do? You're going to face difficult decisions in your life, and you have to trust in God's path. You're going to face moments in your life of financial difficulty, whether or not you're going to still trust God with your resources, even when things are tight. It's the only way to know whether you really trust him. You're going to have to trust God in his partnership of common sense and discernment where things that, that you're being con- trying to be convinced of certain things and your gut's telling you it's wrong. You have to pray for God's discernment in those things. Most of us want an easy life where we don't have to deal with any of those things. But in order to have God's partnership in our life and trust in those things, we have to come to those places where we have to pray and seek God and get close to his face so that we can have his discerning will in our lives. And to trust in God's peace simply means And I know you don't want to hear it, but you're going to face storms in your life. You don't know he's your peace until everything else seems like chaos. But Solomon's father, David, experienced it all. Solomon experienced it all, and his children were going to experience it all, and so will you and I. There's a time when you have to determine, will I trust him? Or will I not? The wisest man who ever lived told his children, trust in God with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. Give him the glory and he'll direct your path and your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The wisest thing you'll ever do is to yield your heart to Christ. And there are some of you that came in this room and you know when you came in here, things aren't right between you and the Lord. And if that's you and you're ready to make that commitment to him, I want you to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are truly enough and I thank you for your grace. 
I thank you for the hope that you give me and I thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me. Forgive me of my sins and the way that I have lived. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness and give me hope. I surrender my heart and my life to you. You lead me through your word and your spirit and I'll never be the same. I'm gonna ask everyone in the room, just pray this prayer profession. We would say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed still, no one looking around except for me and the ministry team. If that's you, you know when you came in here this morning, things aren't right between you and the Lord. I'm not here to embarrass you. I want you to be bold enough in a moment to respond and allow me to pray for you this week. But if that's you, you made a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time today, would you just be brave enough to raise your hand really high just for a moment? Keep it up, please. Just a moment. Yeah, you're not alone. Yep, keep them up just a moment. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can put them down. Father, we thank you for lives that have been changed and redeemed and for hope that has been renewed and restored. We thank you that these lives are lives that were created with destiny and purpose from the very beginning. When you knit them together in their mother's womb, you've got a plan. And I thank you that that plan is coming to full fruition today. Give them joy unspeakable. Let their hearts be full of glory today. And we celebrate with them new life, new hope. In Christ's name, amen and amen. I'm going to ask you if you would, when you came in today, you should have received some elements. We're going to observe Holy Communion together before we leave. If you did not receive some elements, would you raise your hand and um, one of our hosts will get those to you. I want everyone to be served. So if you didn't get the elements when you came in, if you did, go ahead and prepare those. There is a clear seal at the top. If you would unseal that and take out the wafer, and then there's another seal underneath that um, where you can have uh, access to the juice that we'll partake of all together. Once you've got those unsealed, if you'll hold the elements so all of us can be um, served together. What we do in Holy Communion is we remember. We remember the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was spilled for us. And as we do that, we remember all the blessings that we have. Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, and he says, On the same night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and he blessed it and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take it often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood? For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to pray for us one more time. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice that has made us whole. I pray for some that as they are partaking this morning of the body and the blood of Christ, for some of them, your Holy Spirit will guide and direct them in the decisions they face. I pray for some, Lord, as they trust you with their finances, that the God that owns the cattle of a thousand hills will provide all of their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I pray for those that are being held captive or swayed by the world, 
or by people posing as biblical truths and simply are using philosophies. For those people to be given discerning spirits to know what is of God and what is not of God. For those who are facing circumstances that are causing them anxiety or worry or fear, that the God of peace would rest and reign in their hearts. That if you gave your only son the most precious thing you have to us, there is absolutely nothing that you would withhold from us in order to bless us for your glory. And we thank you for that and give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, can you celebrate with me today? 16 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ in this place. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you made that decision today or in the past few weeks, we'd love to talk with you about that. Our prayer, I mean, our grow team will be right down front at the end of the service. Give us two minutes of your time and we'll get you started down the right track and uh, see where we can help you along the way. Also, if you're new to North, want to get more information about how to get plugged in here, in the seat back in front of you, there are a, card, a couple of cards there that will get you a lot of information. Or you can just simply stop by the Next Step area in the atrium. We'd love to talk with you and help you discover your spiritual gifts, help you find a place where you can grow, a class or a group. We'd love to help you in that process as well. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Don't forget next week is week two of our series. And don't forget this Wednesday night, seven o'clock right here in the worship center is our first Wednesday worship service. Hope you'll be a part of that as well. I wanna bless you now according to Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 11.15 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.